reading from the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, taking up where we left off just recently in the memory of all at the Adi Lila chapter 2 now we're on text number 37 as the earth is the original cause and shelter of all pots made of earth, so you are the ultimate cause and shelter of all living beings. Purport, as the vast earth is the source for the ingredients of all earthen pots, so the Supreme Soul is the source for the complete substance of all individual entities. The cause of all causes, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is the cause of the living entities. This is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita 7.10 where the Lord says, Bijam mam sarvabhutanam I am the seed of all living entities. And in the Upanishads, Kata 2.2.13, which says, Nityo nitanam chetanas chetananam the Lord is the supreme leader among all the eternal living beings. The Lord is the reservoir of all cosmic manifestation, animate and inanimate. The advocates of Vishishtadvaita Vada philosophy explain the Vedanta Sutra by saying that although the living entity has two kinds of bodies, a subtle, consisting of mind, intelligence, and false ego, and gross, consisting of the five basic, elements and although he thus lives in three bodily dimensions gross subtle and spiritual he is nevertheless a spiritual spiritual soul similarly the supreme personality of godhead who emanates the material and spiritual worlds is the supreme spirit as an individual spirit soul is almost identical to his gross and subtle bodies so the supreme lord is almost identical to the material and spiritual worlds the material world full of conditioned souls trying to lord it over matter is a manifestation of the external energy of the Supreme Lord and the spiritual world, world full of perfect servitors of the Lord is a manifestation of his internal potency, internal energy. Since all living entities are minute sparks of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he is the Supreme Soul in both the material and spiritual worlds. The Vaishnavas following Lord Chaitanya stress the doctrine of Achintya Bhidabheda Tattva, which states that the Supreme Lord, being the cause and effect of everything, is inconceivably simultaneously one with his manifestations of energy and different from them. So let's just for a second. First of all, uh, it's such a... Um, important aspect of understanding the process of Krishna consciousness to know the different energies of the Lord. There's a distinction between the personalist and the impersonalist philosophies and the imper in that impersonalists say that the Lord has no energies, that there's a homogeneous uh, oneness when, when uh, we describe the absolute truth and all variety therein is illusion. 
However, the Bhagavatam describes Vedanti Tattva Vidas Tattvam Yajjnanam Advayam Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavaniti Shabdite. Although the Lord is one, He exhibits Himself in various manifestations: Brahman, Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. Furthermore, the Vishnu Purana says Vishnu Shakti Paraprokta Shetragyakya Tatapara Avidya Karma Sangyanya Tritya Shakti Rishite. That supreme absolute truth is known by three distinct categories of energy. One is the internal potency. This the next is the external potency, and the third is the Tatasta or the living entity who's in between the two and who exhibits material association through fruit of activity and through, through fruit, of, fruit of work. And, and of course in the Gita, Krishna goes to the trouble to articulate the difference between the lower and the higher energies. The lower energies are earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. Bhumir, apo, analovayu, kamvanu, budirevacha, ahankara, ityame, bina, prakritirashtada. Then he says above these, is a higher energy. Apareyam itastanyam prakritim vidime param jiva bhutam mahabaho yayedam daryatejagat. The higher energy is the living entity who is uh, struggling hard with the material nature and, and thus uh, it appears to be animated. So unless somebody knows the distinctions of energies, then he or she will be um, unable to extricate him or herself from the entanglement of the uh, material world. In fact, in just talking to audiences recently who have, are un, unacquainted with Bhagavad Gita and trying to give introductory information when we talk about um, the, uh, the different energies, sometimes people um, are not well, I, I would say they're fully unaware of the fact that there's a, a distinction between the energies. They don't know about another world that Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita as being permanent. As he says, 8th chapter, In this world, things are being manifested and unmanifested all the time. And material nature is eternal, but it's sometimes manifest and sometimes not manifest. It's always changing. But Krishna says, besides this, there's another world that is uh, permanent. And even when everything in this material world is annihilated, that part remains as it is. And if I don't know about that, then where will I take shelter? Where will, where will I put my attention? Somebody the other day suggested that, well, what about nature? We can take shelter of nature. And as we were talking about it, I, um, some, this person was indicating that through, in nature, actually, we'll find peace. And I asked, have you ever watched the Nature Channel? And she said, yes. And I said, have you noticed there's absolute carnage even within nature? <laughs> you watch the Nature Channel and you'll see it's a lot of death and destruction going on there. One living being, jivo jiva sijivanam, hastani sahastani. Apadani Chatushparam, Palagini Tatramahatam, Jivo Jiva Sijivanam. Shaunaka Rishi says, Material worlds, a dog eat dog. 
the, those who have uh, superior power through more legs or hands, they, they eat the other ones. It's like, oh, okay, you're my food. So this material nature, Krishna describes as a place of struggle. Everyone's struggling hard with this nature. And unless one knows about a superior energy, there's no reason to aspire for it and there's nowhere to place one's attention. So I also want to point out that in the 15th chapter of the Gita, Krishna makes this distinction as well. He says, Dvavimau purusho loke that there are two categories of living entities. He said the fallible and, and the others are called infallible. And the, the, the fallible ones are the ones who are mixed up with the material nature. And the, those who are called infallible, they're associated fully with the spiritual nature. This uh, means that they're taking shelter of that nature. Um, Krishna says in ninth chapter of Gita that uh, they take shelter underneath that um, divine nature of mine. So it's a, it's a vital aspect of understanding spiritual practice that there is a difference between material and spiritual worlds. And then there's the subtle distinction that um, it's simultaneously one and different. The chinta beda, abeda, tattva. It's a beda, it's different, and abeda, it's the same at the same time. And uh, Krishna gives some indication of this in the ninth chapter of the Gita. The most frequently um, quoted verse by Srila Prabhupada about this uh, is. Krishna describes how I'm there in my unmanifested form, and but at the same time, he mentions that I, I maintain my separate existence all the time. So this is a, a fundamental uh, and very important understanding that one uh, should start with to understand the process of devotional service. For, as Prabhupada says elsewhere, for there to be devotional service, there has to be three things, and that is the the worshiper, the worshipped, and the, the mood of worship. And uh, these are not possible if everything's one. But if there's a difference, then there, that devotion is possible. But if there's a difference, then how can you say you're talking about God? Because there's no differentiation within God. Therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave the perfect philosophy based on Srimad Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita, in which we can understand that there's simultaneous oneness and difference. And within that, there's the opportunity for the exchange of love between Krishna and the living entity, which is the main purpose of the creation. And minus that, the living entity becomes entangled in the lower energies. So practically speaking, for us, the way to come out of the entanglement in the material nature, the hard struggle for existence and repeated birth and death, is by taking shelter of the internal potency through the process of devotional service, especially through the nine processes. Iti pum sarti 
Pita Vishnu Bhaktis Chenavalakshana, Krita Bhagavatya Da Tan Ditam Tanmanye Ditam Utamam. Uh, Prahlad Maharaj says these direct processes of devotional service that one uh, deliberately enters into are the sum and substance of all teachings of the Vedas that come to this point. The nine processes start with Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu Smaranam. If you hear and chant, then you will remember Krishna. And it means that we're actually in contact with that internal energy and we're taking shelter of the process. Now let's have a few uh, reflections or questions. Uh, if you go to the chat uh, box here, or if you just look at your screen right now, you'll see that you can go to isvlibrary.com and uh, you can write your questions and we will field them. And I have a link somewhere, I know I do, where I can look at them. Here, I got it. Today is the fourth. How there's so many questions, things already. Oh, I see it's from the Japa period. Okay. Okay, so um, a few points that are here already in the box. We have Shankar Prabhu who said, um, eternally indebted to His Holiness Bhakti True Swami, by whose mercy I developed appreciation and liking to hear so many Vaishnav bhajans, which he sang as loving offering to the Vaishnav community. Sri Madhava Mahotsava said, I like when you quoted, chanting is simple, but one must practice seriously. Radhavenkat Prabhu said, if I am thirsty, opening the tap, saying the mantra with the mouth is not sufficient, but holding the cup under the tap and pouring in the mouth is even more important. Hearing the mantra is even more important. Rohit says, I remember the other day in a lecture you mentioned that if we chant good japa every day, everything in life will fall into place and everything will be good. But if we don't chant japa, we shouldn't complain that things aren't going well in life. <laughs> Yeah, or as one uh, songwriter said, I don't know what you expect staring into the TV set. What do you expect? If you stare into the TV set and then you complain about your life, what do you expect? Your living entity takes some initiative and chant Hare Krishna. Don't look at TV. Uh, Madhava Prema Prabhu says, I like when you read uh, Srimad Bhagavatam 1114 verse Apana Samsutim we can overcome fear by chanting the holy name. Anybody who likes Srimad Bhagavatam is a blessed soul. Divyanga Prabhu said, in the immortal words of Guru Kripa of Namata, ain't nothing like Harinam. Achutaradhe says, chanting must go on preferably loudly or silently, if not possible, to chant loudly. Good. Bhagavat Seva, fact, the holy name and the Lord are non-different and all acharyas are in agreement with this one point and increases my faith and motivation to chant. Good. Bhagavat Seva, is it compulsory? All 16 rounds are completed in one batch during morning Brahma Muhurta. What would be best breakdown for reading, chanting, devotional service? And then we have other services. It really depends on the pattern of your life. Get the as many good rounds done as possible, early as possible. And then... Uh, Fill in the rest if you have to happen to have a busy period in your life. Prabhupada did it four, 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 and four when he was fully engaged in family life and business. Uh, 
Kota Karnava said, when I chant more, it improves my concentration. I could see it when I chanted 33 rounds on Akashi. Yes, this is a good point, Kota Karnava Prabhu, that uh, try chanting more. Uh, don't assume 16 rounds is, uh, you know, this is all I should chant. But if you, if you take uh, extra time and chant more rounds, try 32, try 64, try 108. Try 164 rounds one day and see how you feel. If you don't feel better, you come to me and talk and I will give you a, a cash prize. <laughs> um, when I chant more, it improves my concentration, he says. Yes, uh, next one is Sri Madhava Mahotsava. He appreciates uh, the verse from Bhagavatam 10.1.4. Again, another appreciator of Bhagavatam. Because in the translation it says glorification of the Supreme Personality of God it is performed in the Parampara system that it is conveyed from spiritual master to disciple and then it's the right medicine. I certainly feel this from you in these discourses. Thank you, Sri Madhava Mahotsava Prabhu. Dennis and Karina, Hare Krishna. I heard from Chaitanya Charan Prabhu that the jiva is a in a seed form in the material body and can manifest his spiritual body again. But when I spoke with another devotee, he said this can't be because Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita that the jiva is unchangeable. So we must always be in our eternal form. I didn't know what to say or think about it. Maybe you can give some insight. What we find in the Brihat Bhagavatamrita that when Gopal Kumar and his disciple um, are in Vrindavan, just before they meet Krishna, their present body gets transformed into a spiritual body right before their eyes. So um, you can read that section. It gives a lot of insight into that process. Uh, some devotees, uh, like uh, the Pandavas are mentioned, who have uh, gone back to Godhead in their self-same bodies. So it's not absolutely stereotype, but there are some indications there. Sri Madhava Mahotsava Prabhu says, uh, in reference to finding some peace in nature, I really like your point. Watching National Geographic with my son reminds me that being born as an animal is suffering. I never want to take birth again. It reminds me when Srila Prabhupada says, you can make a nature study. Yeah, it's, a, it's carnage out there. Those uh, living entities are fairly ruthful, uh, uh, ruthless, except for a few... Uh, Pictures here and there of golden retrievers being very friendly to people. It's a very um, material world in general. It's a, it's a very dangerous place. Uh, my question is that one of the ways to get rid of the entanglements of the material energy is to control our anartas. We know that we should manage our anger, krodha, and let go of it, as is one of the anartas. However, it becomes quite difficult to control one's anger when the other person, especially an adult, is not following our advice and we feel that we are trying to help this person uh, to correct his or her behavior, despite knowing that the Supreme Lord is the controller in this situation, we are thinking to be in control. How do we manage this conflict and draw the fine line between getting angry on someone to correct their behavior versus controlling them to impose your choice upon them? Well, that doesn't seem like a very good uh, set of choices there. <laughs> uh, really, uh, getting angry at people generally doesn't get you what you want, and trying to impose your will upon them doesn't either uh, generally work very well. So there's uh, 
controlling anger is uh, important. As Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Shaknoti Haivaya Shodhum Praksharira Vimokshanat Kama Krodod Vavam Megam Sayukta Sasukinara. That Praksharira, before you give up this body, you you should be you should have shakno tihaiva, you should have the strength to be able to give up anger and lust. And if you can do that, then he says you're suki nara, you become a happy human. So um we have to learn how to um control anger by noticing, first of all, when we're dealing with other people, what really motivates them to change. And if we just if we become angry at them, it generally doesn't help. We try to impose our will upon them. It doesn't either. There's such a thing as um, nonviolent communication, which I subscribe to because it has to do with communicating in such a way that you don't uh, uh, inflame the situation. And I can give you more information about that later. Tadiya Seva Prabhu says, great loss for our Sankirtan movement from the loss of His Holiness Bhakti True Swami. By His mercy, I was able to watch Srila Prabhupada's videos. Yes, Prabhu, it's a great loss. Absolutely. Vaikuntha Nayaka Prabhu, today in the purport there was a reference to Vishishadvaita philosophy. Could you give a brief comparison of how Mahaprabhu's Achinta Beta Beta philosophy with um, Madhvacharya's Dvaita philosophy and Vishishadvaita philosophy? What are the similarities and differences of Mahaprabhu's Achinta Beta Beta with the other two uh, Vaishnava philosophies? It's very, very subtle differences very subtle differences and uh, to be perfectly honest with you when I studied this more carefully I, I read several books about it it's, uh, it's so subtle that it's very difficult to under, uh, to, to explain but um, I would just say that Mahaprabhu's philosophy has fine-tuned it some are more uh, geared towards the difference and some are closer to the sameness Mahaprabhu perfectly synthesized by saying simultaneously one and different. But I can give you information to study where you can look for yourself for the subtleties. Uh, Bhaktin Shraddha says, how does understanding the different energies of Krishna help us develop our devotional attitude? Well, uh, first of all, we we should understand that um, Krishna is present in all his energies. One of the ways that Shukadeva Goswami tells Maharaj Prikshit in the Bhagavatam to understand Krishna is first through the material energy. He, he tells them in the second canto that you should see that the universal form is actually the form of Krishna. The, the mountains are the stacks of his bones, the trees are the hairs on the body, the universal form one starts to see energy as connected to Krishna. And then he says you should notice how benevolent it is. Uh, the, the streams are giving water for free. There's a, a, na a natural way in which you can lie on the ground and be comfortable if you just use your hands for a pillow. You don't need Tempur-Pedic. And there's, um, you know, an arrangement through these energies. And then if one distinguishes between the lower and higher energy, one can understand that through the um, connecting with the Krishna's internal energy through, this, through a service attitude, that one comes uh, directly in contact with Krishna. For instance, 
although the material energy is known to be the inferior energy, if you engage it in Krishna service, then you, you can transform that energy. For instance, we know that deities are made of stone, wood, and um, stone, wood, what else? Metal. Metal, yes, yeah, stone, wood, metal, etc. Paint, jewels. There are different ways we use um, stula or the material energy in order to, uh, to shape a, a deity. And then there's a, a method of worshiping the deity. And uh, if you understand the science of Krishna's energies, then you know we're not worshiping stone. We're not worshiping metal. We're not worshiping wood. We're actually worshiping Krishna because he can, uh, through his internal energy, he can appear within the inferior material energy in the form of the archa or the uh, deity so he can worship him. So in that way, by understanding his different energies and how they work, uh, that we can actually be in contact with him constantly, noticing uh, his hand in nature, not a blade of grass moves, not a blade of grass moves without the will of the Supreme. And we can also understand, if we can understand how his internal energy is working, uh, that he's, uh, we can use material things like even sound vibration uh, with uh, the, uh, the proper guidance by chanting mantra with the, with the proper mood. We can become directly connected with Krishna through these energies. Brikishori, in the purport of CC, Srila Prabhupada mentioned that the soul is very similar to the subtle and material body. What does this mean? Is it, isn't it so that the soul is completely transcendental and material mode of elements and, uh, that form the body? Yes, but <clears throat> don't you think that you're your body? Brikishori? Um, philosophically, we hear that we're not our body. No, I'm asking you. Do you ever feel like you, you're, you are your body? Well, sometimes when you're in pain or you have an experience. Just say yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Now, you're not alone. Devahuti says the same thing. When she's speaking to Kapiladev, she says, although I know all these things about this philosophy, I, it really seems like I'm my body and my mind. What to speak of my mind? How will I ever get out of this? And the soul within the womb, we hear the, the plaintive cries from the soul within the womb who's saying to Krishna, how am I ever going to get out of this? I've noticed that I'm in this cycle of birth and death now that I'm in the womb and it become, this is a, a, a liminal state. If somebody can um, look up the word liminal and report back to us. Don't put it on the screen because then I'll miss you all. But liminal, it's an in-between state, kind of like when you're waking up from a dream and then you become a little more lucid. So in that state within the womb, the, the soul realizes that, oh my goodness, I'm taking another material body. And when you're leaving this world, you may have a, a, a clearer idea that I'm not my body. I told you many times, my mother, who never practiced devotional service except for the three, uh, three months at the end of her life, she said to me, Two days before she left, she looked at me as a soul, not as my mother, and she said, I never want to have to do this again. And uh, there's a, a way in which 
we're not our body, but we become so inexplicably connected with the body and the mind. It's very difficult to distinguish between the two. And even Devahuti says that to Kapiladev, how will I ever come out of this? It seems like I've been in, in this eternally and I always will be. How will I come out of this illusory state? Interestingly, Kapiladev then says, you'll, you'll be able to do this by hearing for a long time and engaging in proper service. And uh, again, he says later on that by the practice of bhakti, the subtle material body is dissolved just the way food is dissolved when it's uh, put into the stomach. It's digested naturally by the acids in the stomach. And we just read the other day in the bhakti community that the soul, uh, the person who's engaged in devotional service should be patient because at the right time, the result of devotional service will come of its own by its own force so so powerfully so it's it's a because actually on a technical level the soul is very bright we're luminous the body's not luminous in fact you'll notice if you're ever with somebody when they leave their body that the body no longer the lights are not there anymore i was with sudama Prabhu when he left the world and I saw that as soon as he was gone I could tell the the light was out same with my mother I saw that she was there now she's not there I could tell you can understand that the soul is the source of illumination within the body Krishna says in the third chapter uh, 13th chapter of the Gita that luminous nature of consciousness it pervades the whole body just like it's in my fingers right now but i'm not my finger but i can feel the lum the uh pervasive nature of consciousness there right so um this uh, the energy of the soul is there uh, within the body and is uh, pervasive within the body and so it also projects itself into the subtle body as well. So the buddhi is extremely subtle. It's even more subtle than, than the mind, the manas. So the way it's described in the Yoga Sutras is that the luminosity of the soul is um, reflected upon the buddhi. And then when we as souls look at the buddhi that, and see that it it's luminous we take it that that's us and therefore we identify with the mind and the and the intelligence and the the mind and the intellect in contact with material nature take take uh, take in impressions from the material world and they actually take that shape they shape they become shaped in different ways because of the impressions that come from the outside world and when I look at those shapes and impressions, I assume mistakenly that that's me. So I think I am uh, afraid. I am uh, a man. I'm a woman. I'm a cat. I'm a dog. Uh, and I'm simply identifying with that um, distortion of the, the mind and the intellect. Therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, spiritual life begins with Chaito Darpana Marjanam. You have to cleanse the mind by the process of Harinam. And when 
when it's cleansed, then you can see yourself for what you are. And you can also see the difference between yourself and your mind, your intellect, and so forth. But it's, a, it's the most common of mistakes in the material world. Everybody thinks, I am my body, or I am my mind. I am my life situation, but it's not true. Asango hyayam purushaha, says the Vedas, we have, he said, little jiva, you have nothing to do with this world at all, at all, nothing. It's not your place. You're categorically different from all this. So don't think you're your body, says the Shastra and says Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita. And once you realize that, then you'll be sitting in a body and you'll think, oh, what do I do now? Because uh, how did I get, get into this situation? Well, who knows? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says somehow or other you've fallen into this material nature. That's, that's the explanation, somehow or other. So now how to get out of it? Don't... Uh, don't thrash around. Don't panic. Don't make any sudden moves. Stay neutral. Don't try to get out of the body. Uh, just go on with your devotional service and be patient because you'll be extricated from the material world. Karmani nirdahati kintu bhakti bhajan. Through the bhakti bhajan, then your karma will be nullified. This body is made of karma. Of reactions and reactions and it's a formation of the three modes of material nature because of those actions and reactions and that will all be dissolved by the process of bhakti and that includes our identification with the mind with the intellect and and uh, the, the ego will be purified from thinking I am the body and and everything in relationship my body is mine there's a story about a man, he, he used to sit on the bench every day outside the Gaudiya Mat and read the newspaper. And uh, he was reading every day about all these uh, deaths in the world, no reaction. And then one day he read and there was an obituary and it was about his father, who he was estranged from and it turned out his father had died. And then he broke down crying. And the always the, the asked him what had happened. He said, my father died. And then they were reflecting later that every day he's reading the obituaries about people dying, but he never reacted. But then he saw my own father died, so he reacted. So everything in this world is uh, of importance to us uh, when we're connected through the uh, sense of I am this body. And um, when one becomes purified of this, one thinks that... Um, I'm an eternal servant of Krishna and sees all the relationships with the material world as just superfluous. Did you find liminal? Yes, Maharaj. You um, found it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, liminal will come up as relating to a transitional or initial stage of a process occupying a position at or on both sides of a boundary or threshold. It says it's an intermedial state. It's a nice word, I think. My humble opinion. Where does it come from? It comes from uh, Latin and then uh, English. It's a combination of the two. And what are the elements of the word? Um, you can look in the etymological dictionary. It's called... Online Etymological Dictionary. Online, yes. There we go. And this is... Uh... 
liminal curtain. It comes from Latin, limen, threshold, crosspiece, sill. Yeah, and if you look at the word limit, it comes from limit. Old French, mark a boundary, Latin, limitare. Al and limit. Limit being boundary, frontier from old French, limite. About yeah. Latin, limitim. Nominative times. That's like me. Yes. When you. Oh. Uh, oh yes, pray. Haribo. When you were talking about the sense and, and the identification with the body, make me remember that verse that you quote often. Kamadinam katina katida palita durnidesha. The Samjata Mahina Kanunana, Rapano Pasianti, Utriyaita Matayadupate, Sambratam Labdaburi, Vayamayata Sharanam, Aviyam Mamiluyat Madasya. So that made me remember that all the fallible soldiers. Yes, and bad masters. This, this is, uh, these are the, our bad masters personified. So a child runs away from home and then gets taken in by. Uh, bad foster parents and is uh, and is abused. So we're like that. We uh, we leave Krishna's shelter, and then we take shelter of the material nature, and think that I'll get shelter here. But it's like going into a, a bad home, where the parents they're very bad. They abuse the child. So we're being abused here. So uh, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging, and uh, then you know, find out where your real home is and take shelter. And that's what he's saying in that verse, that uh, no more, I've gained my intelligence now to understand where I come from. So now I'm asking Krishna for shelter and service. Thanks for bringing that up, Prem, a really great verse. Thank you. Uh, let's see, Parikishori, did you have a follow-up question or are you satisfied? Um, thank you very much for actually um, along the word of um, sublimination um, in school when we learn chemistry sometimes dry ice without becoming water it directly becomes um, air like it directly vaporizes into air and that like the example that you used was very nice because even in philosophy they speak about how the body becomes re-spiritualized through this process of sublimination. So thank you for that wonderful explanation. No, I didn't get it. So dry ice, so what, what is it? Okay, so um, the word sublimination was what has been used to describe an exchange of bodies and spirits, similarly similar to laboratory phase transition between solids and gases. Solids and, and gases. And so instead of the ice actually having to become into water and then yeah. sublimate to air, it yeah. makes that direct transformation. And throughout like Latin and Greek philosophy, that's been described to um, actually describe the spiritualization of the body. I see. Yeah. So instead of, so unpack it a little more. So on one side, let me just make sure I'm getting this right. On one side, you've got one experiment, you have ice. Ice has to turn to water and then from water it goes to vapor. Yes. And then that's compared to what? And then that's, whereas in some instances, ice can directly become in, 
directly turn into air, especially in situations such as dry ice. Yeah. And it's written and subliminations we make for three causes. The first cause is to make the body spiritual. The second is that the spirit may be corporeal and become fixed with it and consubstantial. So this is like a small excerpt that they had mentioned that the process of like sublimination is like compared to the body being re-spiritualized and then establishing the spirituality of the body. At least that's what is coming from like that perception of how it was used. Okay. So are you saying when we take to Christian consciousness, then we go from the solid form into the spiritual form? Uh, in, in, the, in the example that you used of the word sublimination, yeah. that we are able to um, transform into... Um, or transform or re-realize our spiritual identity by the process of, of purification. Okay. Thank you very much. We're always looking for these analogies because they're thought bridges and very important. Yeah, okay, Prikikori, um, thank you. Yes. Yeah, just to add that sublime itself means grandeur. So it's also establishing what, what Priyakishri is saying, that from a lower position of material, you're, you're rising to a higher level through sublimation. So that's why they say um, devotional service is a sublime process also, like that. Okay. My word was, wasn't my word uh, liminal? Yeah, we, start, <laughs> we started from liminal and then we ended on sublime. Sublime, liminal. Yeah. And what does sublime mean? Yeah, so I, I was saying that the word sublime is also used for grandeur. So I was just grandeur. supplementing what Priyakishuri was saying about the process. Okay. Of you know realizing your spiritual identity is well. Saying, there's a lot in that in that yeah. word and in Prikishori's yeah. example. Yeah. I I'm going to have to work on that a little more. I know uh, that's going to be a real winner, but I need to. I think get some dry ice yeah. or something. <laughs> okay, Hari Sankirtan Prabhu gives a reflection. In one of our discussions, I was mentioning that 16 rounds is minimum, and we should chant more. The counter argument was that we don't want to do more offensive chanting. Your points clarify that chant as much as possible, even with offenses. Yes, uh, it's in Shastra. Nama parada yuktanam naman yeva harantyagam avishrani prayuktani tanyevarta karanicha. There's a, the, uh, somebody correct me, if the Padma Purana, I, I forget which exactly which Purana, but you can look it up. Nama parada yuktanam. And uh, there it says, if you're offensive in your chanting, the remedy is to chant without stoppage and probably gives the same advice you'll find in um, 9.30 um, uh, in the Bhagavad Gita 31 Shri Prampapati Dharmatma Shashvashantim Nagachati in the purport he says uh, if, if you've um, fallen down or you've made a mistake then you should chant without stoppage of course you should do that anyway but <laughs> that's the prescription Thank you, Hari Sankirtan. Dhanavari says, um, it is a great loss for us. It's sad news. Talking about His Holiness Bhakti Truswami. Thank you for singing, Bhajan. We are constantly reminded about death. I like the point about Japa, don't stop. Even if you are not chanting correctly. Yes. Not Hare we... Krishna. Yes. Sorry, Guru. <laughs> not at all. Um, I was just reflecting on that story that you were telling about the Godiamoth. Yes. And the man reading the newspaper in front and just with such a day as Bhakti Chiro Maharaj's disappearance, I was just thinking how 
the material world we were we lament because we lost something that has contributed to our false ego or or our or our material identification but in spiritual life the things that we lament for is those who have contributed to our spiritual advancement and how it's completely different from like a self-centered understanding of lamentation it's it's completely uh categorically different so i was just reflecting on that on that example that you gave yes and it's an important distinction because oftentimes through mental speculation people think that spiritual life means the opposite of material life and because we have relationships in the material world therefore spiritual life means no relationship means no emotion and in the gita krishna says vitaraga bhaya kroda manmaya mamupashrita bahavo jnana tapasa putamad bhavamagataha which means that in order to advance in spiritual life, you have to overcome three things. First is raga, which means the um, irrational attachment to matter. It's like a little bird smashing his head into the window because he sees another bird there, or he sees uh, the reflection of a fruit, and he keeps banging his head harder and harder to try to get it. So you have to give that up, which seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Itaraga bhaya means baya means fear of a personal relationship with god because my relationships in the material world seem troublesome even when they're when they're very nice then we have to give them up and it hurts so much that i might then speculate that spiritual life means uh, i'd have relief from any idea about a relationship and i I don't have one so that's a, a, a mistake we actually have a relationship, but it's with a perfect person, and he can reciprocate perfectly with us. So it doesn't, it's not fraught with the anomalies that material relationships are fraught with. And uh, thirdly, he says, does Krishna, the krodha, anger that comes from the frustration of hearing various philosophies and not having uh, proper guidance to understand any, any of them. And therefore, one becomes angry and then declares there is no answer and uh, this Krishna says you, you, Vita, you have to give it up then he goes on to say by getting knowledge about me properly uh, many people have overcome these three stumbling blocks and they've come to the perfection of life well thank you for showing it there it is in uh, 410 itself proof positive that it exists. 410. Uh, then we have uh, Sringara Ras said, would you kindly elaborate on the proper mood of service? Means uh, service for service. I'm serving Krishna. Am I serving my spiritual master? Simply out of a mood of service that... Um, and it's out of a love and appreciation. And uh, when we have this kind of um, impetus, there are different uh, motivations. Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, the lowest of all is fear. Above fear is prospect. What am I going to get from this? Above that is duty, which is in the mode of goodness. Because I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. And the highest motivation is love. I, I, it's out of gratitude that I'm serving. And that, that, these are the gradations of motivation. So the highest is uh, 
mention anyabilashita shunyam jnana karma nyanavritam anukulyena krishnanu shilanam bhaktirutama that uh, my service is not motivated by anything except for a sense that uh, Krishna is my Lord and I'm, uh, I'm grateful and out of love I serve him. Alex and Valentina say, we were listening class from 2008 and so you have an example about billions living entities around the world who are just making different sound vibrations and all about eating and meeting. Only devotees are chanting Harinam and that's extremely rare. Yes, so there are birds in Australia called the kookaburra. The kookaburra makes all kinds of loud sounds. I'll see if I can play one for you. Can you enable me, please, to share? And I'll, sh I'll share with you the sound of the kookaburra. It should work now. Just now only. Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Ram Hare Ram Ram So that's not exactly Hare Krishna. And uh, there are, if you can imagine a thousand or 10,000 kookaburras together at one time, which happens in Australia, then you can imagine the, um, the noise that would cause. And if you think of all the living entities all over the world making such noises, it's all mostly mating, mating sounds. That here I am, look at my feathers. And if you notice human beings who have the same mentality as a bird, they walk on Venice Beach and they show off their feathers and they're, they're just trying to attract some other, uh, you know, a female, attract a male, male, attract a female, and they make noises and they sing songs and they get paid millions of dollars for them, you know. I love you. And, you know, these are, these are all mundane sounds from the material world. But when we tr transform our sound vibration to the, to the holy name and... Um, then um, our life becomes transformed. All that just to illustrate Alex's point. <laughs> anyway, now you know what a kookaburra sounds like. Okay. Um, um, I was thinking about what you said in the very beginning about mind, intelligence, and the subtle ego. And yes. I was thinking that... Um, even though the intelligence is able to discriminate and the subtle ego is, is attached to the wrong things, this huge luggage of the mind that we lug along every time we switch from body to body is such a pain to carry. And if we don't get the clarity of who we are and what we are, and we don't clean up our mind, our suitcase very well, we're going to have a really difficult time switching from place to place. I was just thinking, such a heavy thing to carry, this mind full of thoughts and confusions and ideas. And like a computer, it keeps regenerating all these. Yeah. And uh, 
it's not that we can clean it e- either, but we depend on Krishna. Cheto darpanam arjanam bhavamahadav agni nirvapanam. The sense is there that you know, it's a forest fire, it's a very dire situation, and unless the rain comes, it, it can't be cured. So this um, um, pravishtarandranam swanam bhavam saroruham um, dunoti salilam krishna Salilasa yatasharat. What's the first word of the verse? I missed it. Pravishta karna Pravishta. Pravishta karna reina. So that pravishta means to enter into something. Pravishta karna. Karna means the ear. Randrena means that it goes from the ear into the heart. Aswanam bhavam saroruham. There is our relationship with Krishna. And that becomes reestablished by hearing the sound vibration of the Bhagavatam. Salilam uh, dunoti salilam. Dunoti means uh, the remover, someone who takes it away. Krishna helps us, as we know from Srinvatam Swakata Krishna, that he, he helps us to remove all those um, anartas, all those uh, impressions. Dunoti salilam. And the, the example is given salilam Krishna, just like during the autumn season, there's some rain that comes and it cleans all the streams and ponds everywhere. So, if you try to clean us uh, uh, a, uh, the bodies of water, let's just say you have some ponds and rivers around your house, what's one way you could do it? We could ask Preekishori. She probably knows the scientific way. But um, it's a alum. Alum is a, a chemical that you can put in water, and it coagulates all the, the uh, particulate matter, and then it falls to the bottom. And then the, the, the little glass of water or maybe a, a small tank becomes clear. But if you tried to clear all the tanks and all the rivers with alum, you would, not, you would fall short. However, during the autumn season, when the rain comes, it cleans all of them. I wondered about that because I thought, doesn't it get muddier when the rain comes? And Prabhupada actually um, explains this. He says, during... Uh, certain rainy times, the water gets muddy, but during the autumnal rains, that particular rain, uh, the 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 uh, degree to which it comes, it actually cleans it. It makes everything clear. So the Bhagavatam and hearing is like that. It, it can clear all of our misgivings all at one time. And actually, the analogy given is that it can do it for all the people all over the world. And... Uh, it's just like that uh, cure-all. So the the process of um, Ashtanga Yoga means step-by-step step to extricate oneself from the mind, take a stair, staircase so that you can get free from identification with the mind and so forth. However, we take shelter of the process of pouring in the, um, what is called the, these... Um, counter impressions there's a way in which uh, it, the the program of hearing about krishna rewrites those uh, other impressions it overwrites them so that we actually uh, are left with a pure mind that can think of krishna there's a couple more to finish here uh, we have um good i like this system you're marking them off as we go so i know we know where we are uh, Dhanavari said, I have a question. Doesn't this human body 
precious, even though it is, isn't it precious even though it's material, we can only do bhakti in the human body. Is it right understanding? Yes. This is mentioned, Labvamsa durlama bidam bahusam bhavante manusha martadam anityam apihadira. So Bhagavatam says that, um, actually this is the, uh, the Avaduta Brahmana says in the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, it's very rare to get a human body. And you get it only after millions of other species. You may have been a kookaburra before and um, many other different forms of life, but now you won the lottery of the species and you became a human being. So it's a gift, a great gift. And he says, um, uh, it's anityam, it's very temporary, but it's artadam, it's full of value. So if someone gives you something that is going to, um, you know, like gives you an ice cube, it's going to melt in a, in a couple hours, but you're able to sell that ice cube somehow. You tell somebody, you know, this is a rare ice cube, the Pope looked at it or something like that. And then you're able to sell it for a million dollars and make a million dollars before it melts. Then you're a really smart businessman. So same thing. You have this body. It's melting the day that you're born. It's like you're carrying an ice cube. It's just, it's running out now. But if you're able to take this and turn it into eternal life, you said you're the smartest person on the earth. So it's extremely valuable. And in the section where Kamsa is about to kill Devaki, uh, it's mentioned there that um, Vasudev went to great lengths to save her body. And it's, the, the Shastra there says that it's the duty of every human being to preserve their body as long as possible because it, it's, it's our vehicle for taking us back to Godhead. So you have to take care of it as, as meticulously as possible. Pavitra Renu says, that um, should ISV library website be used only for questions based on the lectures we hear from such and such? Can we also use it for questions we get from our own independent reading of scriptures? I don't understand the question. Questions based on lectures we hear. Well, the, the library uh, is to capture lectures from everybody that speaks in the realm of ISV. So for instance, uh, Let's say that um, we get a class from uh, Priya Kishori. Uh, she gives a class. We'll record it. We'll transcribe it. It'll be in the, if you go in the ISV library and you go in the section that says Priya Kishori, there will be her lectures. And then you'll be able to look up and see what she said. And uh, there will be a Radhika Raman section. There'll be a Hanumat Prashek Swami section. The library will be full. It's based on the idea that whatever is, Spoken should be not only broadcast, but preserved, so we can see a record of it. I hope that helps. The question is, if they have question that comes up and they're independently reading, is there a way for them to ask those questions that you will answer? Well, they could ask it here. Or you mean send it in separate of the class or something like that? If I'm reading... Um, Bhagavatam Canto 3 and I have some questions she's I think asking for a way to submit them to you okay well one way is to join the class and ask them because that way for right now they definitely get recorded and another way uh, 
I mean, it's something we've been talking about for a while, how to capture those. So we'll take that into consideration. I know all the questions I get, I save, and I put on Evernote the questions and the answers so they can be uh, combined in, into categories and, and uh, dealt with later. But we're in the process of refining it, and we'll take that under advisement. Thank you, Radhavinkat Prabhu, for, for clarifying that. Thank you. Maharaj, I have a question. Yes. Uh, Maharaj, uh, when I got introduced to ISKCON, uh, first time I heard when people are praying, they mentioned, uh, oh, Krishna, if you so desire, you know, that was very uh, unique and distinct, which I experienced, you know, elsewhere, because here we are uh, heavily relying that it's Krishna's will, whatever happens, even if we are asking uh, whatever benediction in our head, you know, is there. But, you know, in a certain level at some time, I know, especially in the recent three weeks, uh, because of, you know, Bhakti Jaru Maharaj's health situation, we see there is a yagya going on, there is a chanting going on all over. And it is very difficult to process, even we uh, say that, oh, oh, Krishna, if you so desire, you know, we need his association. And I'm just trying to, you know, pacify my head in that way that, hey, you know, maybe Krishna didn't hear my uh, prayer because I'm not pure and, you know, because uh, my prayer was not pure uh, in that sense. But then there are many millions, you know, hundreds of thousands of other devotees uh, also praying for the same thing. So is this a sign of sometimes a helplessness situation which, you know, uh, emerge in our head is just lack of understanding or that we do not have enough faith in Krishna's what he does because the, at certain way in our head is there is some reciprocation which we seek and when we don't get, we get a little disappointed. So I just thought to get your view because this is, I know, a very emotional, uh, a very recent and it's, you know, a little overwhelming to digest. So I thought to get your uh, special uh, guidance on that part. Well, one point is that in relationship with uh, Krishna and the Vaishnavas, as I mentioned before, these, the ways in which we pray to Krishna and we pray for Vaishnavas helps to bring us closer to the, uh, uh, to the Vaishnavas through appreciating them and remembering how dear they are to us and how important they are to us. And in that sense, it's for our own purification. To take stock of our association and say, oh, you know, I really am dependent on the Vaishnavas. I may think myself independent, but without the guidance and the example of, of, of great devotees, then how will I advance in Krishna consciousness? And, and how will the Krishna consciousness movement go on? <laughs> and so forth. So, you know, saying prayers, as with anything, for instance, when Prabhupada mentions that the Goswamis wrote books, he says their primary concern was their own purification. They weren't thinking, I'll become a great author, or this will become a bestseller, and I'll make a living off it, or something like that. They're only thinking, how, do I, uh, how am I purifying myself by this activity? So in one way, when we're making prayers to Krishna, and we're asking for something, it's reminding us of a relationship with him. As prayers means relationship, and it's very uh, deep. Throughout the Bhagavatam, we, 
Radhi Kurman Prabhu has mentioned this point several times. He said when he was a kid and he was hearing Bhagavatam, the story's going along and he's thinking, oh, this is great, story, story, story. And then all of a sudden the prayers start. He's saying, oh, not again. You know, <laughs> We got 20 pages of, of these very uh, intricate prayers. It kind of the narrative stops and the prayers get very philosophical and so forth. And he says, but actually that was the, it shows the relationship between Krishna and his devotee and what they're feeling in their heart towards Krishna is, is very important. So, for instance, when we give an offering on Vyasa Puja or on the Tirubhava of our uh, guru, like uh, devotees of, uh, who are disciples of Prabhupada and others, uh, all of us have that connection with Prabhupada either through Diksha or through uh, uh, following the Acharya through Shiksha, then, you know, on the Tirubhav, we offer prayers. And it's, Prabhupada once said, it's a kind of a test of the disciple, of the follower, to see what's in their heart. What is in his or her heart? Can you speak something, uh, uh, you know, on that day? What comes out of your heart? Because the, the deeper you're practicing devotional service, the, then that will be forthcoming. It will be coming out of your heart in a, in a very profound way because you have realizations through your service to such a, uh, to, to your guru. Uh, and, and when we uh, pray, then also we're expressing what's in our heart, partly for our own purification to see what's in there. Like, how am I actually feeling? Let me express it. And we say, uh, my dear Lord Krishna, if you so desire, and of course we put it that way because we don't want to be presumptuous and tell Krishna what to do either. Krishna is Satya Sankalpa. We, we accept it, whatever he says. <laughs> and, if, and even if we don't, it comes to pass anyway. He has his own uh, way of uh, doing things and thinking, but he does consider you know, what the Vaishnavas uh, think. But we should, as we're performing our devotional service and our prayers, be considering first and foremost how it's purifying to us and what's already in our heart. In another way, you know, when a Vaishnav comes or goes, practically it's the same thing in a way because, um, as we say, Vaishnavs are always living in sound. And it's, it's a, a, a fallacy to say that, the, that they're gone uh, because uh, they live in their instructions and their examples and so forth. And we come closer to them by, by these emotions, by feeling separation from them and expressing in words to Krishna that, that if you so desire, you know, please um, keep him here uh, for, for our own benefit. I would say none of this ever goes in vain. And just because we can't see Krishna's purpose immediately, Krishna is such a sankalpa. And also, whenever he does something, he fulfills many purposes, multi-purposes, unlimited purposes at the same time. And just because I can't see what it is immediately doesn't mean that he hasn't fulfilled my prayer. It will come in a way that um, I'll later on say, oh, now I understand exactly how he fulfilled the, the spirit of my prayer. But my perception of reality is so limited that I can't see all that Krishna is doing all at the same time. So we also shouldn't think, oh, Krishna didn't hear us or he doesn't care or anything. He, 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 Gajendra says he cares. He cares about every living entity and he acts in such a way that he can simultaneously benefit everybody 
all at the same time in exactly the way that they need. And that's his, that's what he does. Sapariya gachtru krum akayam avranam masnaviram shudam apapa vidam kavirmanishi paribu swayambura yatat yat yator tan viradashasvati bhyasamabhyaha. He's not uh, encumbered by any kind of uh, material fault. He has a completely transcendental spiritual body. His senses are perfect. He understands all situations at all times perfectly. And he's also fulfilling the desire of every living entity uh, according, uh, accordingly at every second. So the, if one's praying, it's for our own purification and develop our relationship with Krishna and with the Vaishnavas. And also Krishna will fulfill the spirit of that prayer in his own way, which, will, which is a perfect way. It may not be our way, because what do we know? how things should be done. I have no idea <laughs> how they're going on and what Krishna's purpose is. I hope that helps. Hare Krishna. Vancha Gopalabhrishya Kripasindabhevacha Patitanam Pavanibhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namonamaha Nantakoti Vaishnaviniki Jai Gopremanane Can everyone please unmute and say Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Hare Hare Bo. Hare Bo. Hare Krishna. 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 Hare